This is Samia Bano with Make Change Fun and Easy, podcast to help you create massive positive change in your life and the world. Hello, salam, shalom, namaste, satsrikal, aloha, hola, ciao, bonjour, and buna. It's so awesome to be with you, and I am so excited because we have a very special guest with us today, and that's Rob, who is an entrepreneur, coach, and founder of Growth Habit. And I'm going to ask Rob to jump right in and tell us more about what you do and who you are. Thanks, Samia. I appreciate it. So I'm an entrepreneur coach and I specifically work with purpose-driven, heart-led people that are doing the work out of a want for impact and making change. And I help them create a business where their dream clients are coming to them and so that they can actually make money while making a difference. Because if you don't have clients, then you don't have a business and it's just a hobby, which is okay. But uh, I, I find myself playing this role and maybe sometimes I almost consider myself a, a translator of sorts because, because the people who are doing it from the heart or doing it from the love of doing it have an aversion to things that might be normally called marketing or sales or things. And they're, they're, those things are icky. So how do we find a way to help those people and how do I find a way to help those people uh, do it in a way that feels authentic, feels mm. genuine, feels real? I love that. And I'm for sure one of the people who are part of your tribe. <laughs> And I've been through the struggles that you just mentioned in terms of not knowing what to do with regards to business. And then even when I started to learn, I didn't want to do all of it because I was like, oh, I don't know. A lot of it feels dodgy or not in alignment with my values and so forth. And so it took me some time to figure out a way to how I could align and definitely uh, having mentors and coaches who helped me through that process was invaluable. So I'm so glad that you're out there doing this work. Thank you. And it's funny, I never intended to, to do this. If we had spoken three years ago, I said, Samia, I'm a creativity coach. I work with creative people. I help people get more creative and tap into their creativity and get into their states of flow more frequently. But then I had people coming in asking me about habits because I was sharing a lot about my habits, about my morning routine and how those had impacted my life. And I was sharing really publicly on Instagram and people were saying, help me do that. Can you help me do that? And then I paused and thought, well, what's my bigger goal with all this? I want to help people feel more impactful, more joyful, more purposeful. It's like habits have done that for me. I can help people. So I called myself a habit strategist for a while. Mm. And and then when I quit my full-time job and went all in on this, 11 of my first 12 clients were entrepreneurs, which I wasn't expecting. And I was like, huh, why is that? Again, it was a point of reflection. They are generally a bit rebellious. They really are driven by a cause. They aren't as afraid of failure. They're you know doing things at the beat of their own drum. I was like, oh, these are my people. So I focused on entrepreneurs for a while, but then I had coaches show up and ask me, hey, how the heck have you done this? How are you getting clients to come to you? How are you getting clients overseas? And the first couple of coaches, I said, no, uh, my imposter syndrome would have no part of it. I was like, I have no business doing that. But when the third person showed up in a 10 day window and said like, can I pick your brain? I was like, ah, the universe is trying to send me signals again. So then uh, I made that, that last shift. So um, definitely I, I struggled with my own imposter syndrome along the way as I've navigated and adjusted some. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is such a <sighs> like an issue that that really impacts pretty much all of us, and um, it's just a matter of like over time hopefully we can learn how to deal with our imposter syndrome and other limiting beliefs and find our way to success um uh and yeah how how would you say you manage to deal with the these challenges of the imposter syndrome and other things that were in your way of success so I'll give you a short anecdote and then I'll answer this, the question a bit more directly. Uh -huh. So one of the biggest ahas for me was speaking someone and then working with someone who is incredibly successful, multi-multi-millionaire, mm -hmm. leader in their field, really highly regarded for the work that they do, uh, a brilliant mind, caring heart, like truly, truly in a league of their own in many ways, especially by the kind of external metrics that people think are the end all be all. And when speaking with them and when it was just us one-on-one, -on -one, them opening up about their imposter syndrome and then realizing that they struggled with it uh, really gave me a huge aha as far as it, it doesn't go away. And I've experienced it with every step of my evolution is, you know, for me to be able to we spoke earlier, I have a book for me able to create this. I had to get through all sorts of stuff. I used to before think like, I can't be a writer. I dropped out of high school. I didn't go to college or university. Uh, I, I make typos all the time. There's all these reasons. But the biggest thing for me is, well, one, realizing that it's fabricated. That's the biggest help for me. Once you realize that it's fabricated and that it's all made up, it's all a story. And if you were born in my family and I was born in your family, we would have completely different maps of the world. And they're not the definitive maps of the world, but we'd have completely different maps of the world. And you know, this like the thing that your aunt said to you when you're eight, the stuff that your school teacher said to you when you asked too many questions in grade nine. Like when we gather all this stuff and we start believing that it is true, but it really is this fabrication that we've created this character. So making that realization, reminding myself of that realization is really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then once you have that realization, you can shine a light on it. You can call BS on it. You can go, oh, wait a minute, what is that? Let's put a big spotlight. Because normally with those things, they scare us, so we hire. So put a big light, ask quite, yeah. why is that? Where, where did this come from? Who Whose belief is this? You know, uh, and those things are really helpful for me. Oh, I love it. And you have to tell me more about your book. What's your book about? So the book is called Die Before They Do. From Selling Drugs to Lunch with Jim Carrey, Stories of Struggle, Near-Death Experiences, and Creating a Life with Meaning. And yeah. it is a, a collection of short stories that all weave together that show my journey through entrepreneurship, through struggles as a parent, through my struggles with alcohol, through self-discovery, through major career changes, because I'm on my third career. And I didn't intend to write a book about the story of my life. It, I, I knew I really wanted to write a book but I started sharing some of my challenges, some of my failures, some of my difficulties online. And whenever I opened up with some of the messier, more raw, true things, the, the feedback I got from people was beautiful and really nice. And it made me realize I could just put a collection of those together and I think it'd really resonate. And it's a bestseller right now on Amazon. It's got uh, 15, 14 or 15 five-star reviews. The messages I'm getting every day from people are just heartwell, like overwhelming. So 
yeah, I'm really grateful for it. It's wonderful. I love it. And I love that you shared about your own journey in the book and you did it from a place of authenticity and vulnerability because it's like you said in terms of the feedback that you've been receiving and you know like we really appreciate learning from each other and each other's struggles because it just makes things more real i know i have struggled in my life for various reasons at various times and one of the big problems that i would invariably find myself facing oftentimes was this thought that i had that oh i'm the only one and no one can understand what i'm going through you know feeling that sense of being alone in what i was going through but then lo and behold when i gave myself some time and opportunity to really look beyond myself and begin to really explore what other people were going through and experiencing i was able to find oh this person's been through something like that too and this person's been through something like that too and oftentimes for me the starting point for that learning or that awareness was reading a book because i was in much of a talker i was a very introverted person so you know like i wasn't about to start talking to people about what they were going through or what i was going through but i loved reading and so uh you know i at some point i i found my first biography that i read and it was so impactful for me and i fell in love with reading biographies and autobiographies and just you know stories of real people it's wonderful it's something that really stands out from what you said there is that feeling of aloneness that mm-hmm. isolation we have when we're struggling in it it makes it that more painful because we think like no one else understands this no one gets me uh-huh. like there's you really feel on this mis mental island of one and that connection when when it you know you reading one of those biographies and you finding those stories it honestly feels like someone's reaching their hand out to like hold your hand mm-hmm. or to put their arm around you and to tell you like it's okay you're you're not like it really is comforting and in the most beautiful way the most difficult story to read in this book for most people's partway through and it is my struggle and close encounter with suicide and it is something that i wanted to speak about publicly for a while because i've unfortunately known too many people to take their own life mm. and a year and a half ago i i had another friend pass away took their own life went to the the service and leaving the service and driving home with my partner i said to her that's it i'm going to talk about my struggles publicly i need to put it out there i need other people to know they're not alone but i hesitated and i didn't and i thought about it and i drafted something and then i didn't and this went on for months and then i was on a call with the client and we were talking about what was going on in the world and they shared that they were having a really rough morning and they're having some very dark thoughts and they shared where they were at in that moment and i held space and i listened and i tried to be there for them as best as i could and then i shared a bit of my story and my struggle and they lit up and they thanked me profusely and they said like it just means so much and thank you honestly that's it's really to know i'm not alone like just the exact things you were just saying sam yeah. the exact same things and in that moment i hung up 
the call with them, we got off the Zoom and I grabbed my phone and I recorded a video of me sharing my story. I'm crying, it's messy, it's really raw. It got 25,000 views on LinkedIn. It got so many comments and messages, but it's the private messages that mean the most to me. The amount of people that messaged me privately said, thank you. Like, I, you know, I thought I was alone. It's been really tough. I lost my uncle. This means so much to hear. You, you're, you know, you've saved me. You're going to save me. Like, it's just yeah. the messages people sent because they realized they weren't alone. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, the other aspect of why we feel so alone and why it's so challenging to sort of break through that feeling of being alone and how I, my gosh, that feeling of being alone, because we are not uh, meant to be isolated. We are social creatures, you know? And so to feel that level of disconnection, that, uh, that is very, very damaging. I mean, to, I mean, we're not able to meet some of the most fundamental needs that we have as human beings when we're feeling that disconnected, you know? So no wonder it feels so dark and heavy. And, um, but there's also, you know, like a lot of shame and guilt usually around whatever we are going through because of which we're feeling so alone, because of which we find ourselves struggling so much. And, really the shame and the guilt cannot go away especially the shame it cannot go away as long as you continue to just keep it to yourself um that's actually what the shame feeds on and um like pretty much you know you have to you have to somehow or the other realize that it's okay to talk about about it you may not have to talk about it publicly but even if you can find one person to listen to you with empathy and compassion about what you've been through, whew, it's, it's the game changer. It really is the game changer. And I agree so much with what you're saying. We're communal people, we're tribal people. We're meant to be, you know, that, that, there's a saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And yeah. historically, regardless of the culture, the religion, if you look back, it's all around family. It's all about tribal. It's all about community. It's all about the village working together. Really, and what's happened in modern society is the rise of individualism mm -hmm. and people living alone, doing things alone. And then this is magic. This is incredible. It's the way you and I connected. It's the way you and I are able to have this conversation. It's the way I've made so many deep friendships. It is wonderful. The downside, the flip side, the dark side is that it can give you a false sense of connection yeah. And the difference, let's say if you and I were roommates or you and I were neighbors or you and I worked together in person and we shared a bit more openly, like anything where we actually saw each other, you would see me on down days. I would see you when you're having a rough patch. I would see you after, you know, you had hurt yourself and had a bandage and then we talk about it versus so much of what we consume and see and is published on here is highlights, highlights, highlights the happy moments. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I see that, I don't know if it's just that I hang out and make friends with such awesome people. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's what I love. And, uh, you know, I mean, in terms of the energy that I carry and so I tend to attract other people who, well, at this point of my life, it wasn't always like this, but at this point of my life, you know, I, I work very consciously every day to live happiness, to cultivate happiness and joy and peace in my life. And so I tend to attract those kinds of people into my life and they become my best friends. And so when you look at the feeds of, um, of my friends on my social media profiles, I actually tend to see a lot of honest, vulnerable sharing. <laughs> And I do what I can in that context myself, Um, you know, but I know there isn't enough of it. And part of social media is actually, um, you know, that you attract more of of what you show an initial preference for, like literally keep feeding you more and more and more of the same. And so it can actually become very challenging in the social media environment to sort of uh, widen your uh, your your worldview and, and not worldview, but yeah, the social media world of what you're able to see and consume because you're literally seeing a very different Facebook feed than I am seeing based on your preferences, based on my preferences. And it's true for everyone else. And so, Oh my gosh, it can be a definitely tricky aspect of of navigating social media. Yeah, I agree. I think not only can it be a tricky aspect, I think, unfortunately, it makes it even difficult, more difficult to do the things we were talking about earlier as far as creating connection. Yeah. Because it means that it is just so polarizing. Mm. And especially, you know, we're not going to talk about our opinions, but let's say if it comes to if you're pro-vax or anti-vaccine, if you are for abortion against abortion, if you are, uh, you know, re- left-wing, right-wing, and like any of those very divisive things, yeah. my Facebook feed, my Instagram feed, my YouTube feed, whatever, is just going to reinforce that. Yours yeah. will reinforce your worldview. Yeah. So in my mind, it is obvious I'm doing air quotes. If anyway, I don't know if you ever repurpose this, just audio only. You know, it becomes obvious quotes that this is the right way. This is the only way. Clearly, this is the truth because so much of that's reinforced. Well, if you have the opposing view, your world is just reinforced with like, this is the truth. That is the, clearly the obvious. Yeah. And then it removes the ability for us to find common ground and to talk through like, you feel this way because you care. And I feel this way because I care. What do we have in common? What can I maybe see in your point of view? Let's find a way to connect. But instead it just becomes finger pointing and yelling and disagreement. And it, it removes the ability to empathetically connect. Yeah. True, true. So let's talk about some solutions, uh, not necessarily in the context of solving all our social media problems, uh-huh. but uh, solutions for things that you are an expert at. Uh, helping people with and one of the things that I know that you're really awesome with is helping people make things more fun and easy the whole process of creating change and learning um, and you do it through teaching people to turn what they're doing into a game can you tell me more about that 
Yes, gamification, definitely worth it. So it's something that I've really gotten a lot more acquainted with recently and reinforced when I set out to do this project. Because the thing about my book is I declared in mid-July that I was going to write the first draft in 45 days. Mm. And then I wrote it in 43 days. Nice. And now the book is out and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I actually had a free workshop last week where I talked about how the heck did I get the book out so quickly and what did I do? And a big part of that was making it rewarding, gamification. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, the idea of Parkinson's law that something will take as long, the work will take as long as the amount of time that's allocated to it. But when it came to this, because this is a pretty big project, mm -hmm. um, I got all of the chapters listed out. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. And then as I, you know, was, I went away for a writing retreat for seven days where I did a lot of the writing. And anytime I finished a chapter, I would change the color on my tracker to green. I would pause, I'd have a little celebration. And then it was this, this tableau that then they started filling it with green. So I had the reward, I was reinforcing the reward and then also pausing and celebrating. And whether it can be silly, sometimes it's just like saying yes. It can be putting on your favorite song. It can be doing a little dance. And that reinforces the kind of uh, habituation that you want. But it just made it fun instead of it being this big daunting task. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite questions to ask people too is, what is the smallest next step? Because the talk people have grand visions. They have beautiful visions for these incredible lives, businesses, relationships, things they want to create, but that seems overwhelming. Okay, well, what, what is the small on-ramp? What's the one step you can take right now? And the idea is that if you can create some, some momentum, and I think momentum is, is huge too, because something else that I employed when I was writing this book is what I call the exam approach, which is, you've probably heard it too, some teacher told you at some point in time, you get stuck on a question in an exam, what do you do? You go on to the next thing. So for me, when I was writing and I wrote all this entire book, for me, it was about finding momentum and keeping momentum. And sometimes that meant I would start, I'd write the end of a story. Sometimes it meant working in the middle. Sometimes it meant that, and if I hit a wall and I couldn't break through it, I skipped to a different story. And I just started writing there. I just continued to chase the path of what was easiest to do. And until there was just one chapter left that was really elusive that I couldn't seem to write and I kept putting it off and off and off. And then what happened is I had the momentum. It's like, well, the book is done except for this chapter and I want to hit my deadline. And that was enough to get me to finally push through. But I, it'd be easy to imagine if I was trying to do it sequentially, if I was not rewarding myself, if I didn't gamify, if I wasn't allowing myself to just go where the flow was easy, that I could have hit that chapter, got stuck, got mad, and then stopped writing the book. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that. I love it. And you made me think about when I was writing my book, mm -hmm. I actually ended up probably writing it, the actual writing of it. I, I would say like 80% of it, I got it down over two weeks. And then I took another two weeks to write the remaining 20%. And it's like, it just, uh, somehow you just find yourself feeling a little blocked about some things, but it's all right. It's all right. It's like, uh, uh, you know, uh, just like you said, it's about moving on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that you can do. And while I was stuck on my 20%, I was like, okay, I can write out and do other aspects of, you know, what's required to get my book out, you know, asking for reviews and 
um, getting a um, like putting out in a request for a forward to be written and you know like those kinds of uh, other little things or final working on finalizing my book cover that was really fun <laughs> working with the artist book cover artist I was like oh yeah I really like it um, uh, you know, so yeah, whatever you can do to keep moving forward. I love that. I love that idea. And um, the idea of rewarding yourself. Tell me more about that. Like, um, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but what, why is it so important for us to reward ourselves? Well, there's, it creates an endorphin rush. It creates a positive association. It makes you feel good. That's why there's jokes and memes about a to-do list. And the first item on the to-do list is write a to-do list and then you cross yeah. it off. Like it, it really does create a positive association and it creates neural pathways in the mind and you, you feel good. And then when you're feeling good, it's easier to keep going and it, it's building yeah. that momentum. It's the same thing when I started doing habits and taking that seriously, the most powerful things is I made a, a checkbox thing on the wall and I was checking when I was doing it. And it shouldn't feel that good, but it feels great to be like, I did it. And it just, and then it makes you feel good about yourself. And then when you're feeling good about yourself, it's easy to, to reinvest that energy to keep moving forward. Um, and then so that it's not, what I love then it is about the state of being and enjoying the journey versus, you know, I'm only going to be happy when I've written the entire book. I'm only yeah. going to be happy when the whole thing is done. Yeah. No, you end up enjoying the process, the journey and all the little steps along the way, which I think is really important. And we were talking a little bit about some of the, the challenges of society right now. And I think that part of the other challenges is this message that, you know, you'll be happy when you get the yeah. husband, you'll be happy when you get the car, you'll be happy when you get the promotion, you'll be happy when you get the, the vacation, you'll be happy. And it's always this external, elusive future thing versus enjoying the current moments and i think maybe uh, that's a big part of it too yes thank you for highlighting that uh, again you know as a happiness expert i'm totally with you on the same page that when we're feeling more happy more peaceful everything's so much more fun and easy and you're naturally motivated to do more of the thing that makes you feel happy and the thing that's fun you want to do more of it naturally and it's just strange for me now that I have been living with this consciousness and mindset for the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so. It's strange for me now to think back to <laughs> the days when I really believed that, you know, life was hard and it had to be hard, like, you know, and that you couldn't achieve success unless it was through hard work through struggle um and that you couldn't escape suffering <laughs> so, um i think that in itself sort of becomes like a limiting belief you know it's like if you believe that life has to be hard that change has to be a struggle then of course that becomes your reality yeah. Well, your your mind and your body is looking to confirm those beliefs so that you're not a crazy person because yeah. it doesn't want to let you think you're a crazy person. Yeah. And since depending on whose research you follow, it's anywhere between 50% to, to 90% of yeah. our decisions are automated and reflex and done subconsciously on autopilot. 
So if the script below surface, the subconscious belief is life is hard, suffering is normal, it's meant to be a struggle, then when you're on autopilot for between, again, like 50 to 90%, depending on whose research you want to believe, it is looking for things that can confirm that truth because yeah. it's just running automatically without consciously thinking. So then, of course, you're going to attract more struggle, more challenges, more difficulty. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like that social media feed, right? Exactly. What you start out with in terms of indicating preferences and so forth, it gives you more and more of it. And our brain is like that too. Mm. Yeah. It's like a tuner. It's like, a, I think almost like a, like a radio and it's looking for the signal and you've given it, okay, this is the signal we're looking for. It's like, cool. All right. So while you're just walking in like a zombie through your day, we're going to find this signal for you and it delivers you. I like the way you said preferences. That's a really great way you set those initial preferences and then it just keeps delivering according to those preferences. Mm. Yeah, I guess what you were saying earlier is, um, Well, on social media, we definitely are indicating our preferences to social media um, because when you first start out and you have a completely blank profile, you know, you could really create anything out of that. Um, but in case of our life, uh, you know, we are not always, not always, but we're never given such a blank slate in terms of you're born in a particular family in a particular culture in a particular environment and so right off the bat uh you know as soon as you come into existence there are all these things that are influencing and impacting who you are and what you see and what you experience and therefore what you come to uh, believe and so forth so um uh, Yeah, how, uh, what are some of your tips for how people can begin to sort of widen their worldview and their field of experience? Mm, that's a great thing. Doing things you've never done before. So, you know, you've never gone, you've never learned hula hooping. You don't know how to bake. You've never been rock climbing. You've never, like just anything that is outside of your norms. And those things seem pretty easy. And they, they don't cost as much. They're very accessible for you to find a, you know, a baking class or a rock climbing school or whatever. So those things are really great because you're going to find different people with different frames of references and different worldviews. Obviously, if you can, uh, travel is a really great one. There's mm -hmm. no greater way to be plunked into a different country, a different city, a different place, a different language environment and for you to be just like shocked with, oh, yeah, all of this, all this noise in my head. I've got this, I've made up this map, all these... Here's a group of people sharing the same air on, on live on the same planet who have a completely different perspective. Yeah. So travel is really great, I think, for that. Uh, and travel is one of the greatest empathy creators, I believe. Yeah. It truly is one of the greatest empathy. Uh, and I do think, too, as far as parents, society, culture, the town, all of that stuff, that it's important to move away. I think, and even if it's just for like a year or two years, if it means going off to school, to just get away from your high school friends, from your parents' direct influence. Like maybe, maybe, maybe you can't go away for school for three, but can you go on a, a month long trip? Can you go live in a city for three months? Can you, but I would really recommend 
just getting away from that because it's very, very easy to stay stuck in that. You know, yeah. your uncle lives down the street. You've known these friends for 20 years. This is da, 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 and it's just it, it's weight. Um, and to take a break from that uh, intentionally, if you can, uh, okay. I think is really helpful too. Yes, I love that. And for sure, I know for me, uh, I didn't honestly travel so much, but my family moved around and we actually made three international moves before I ended up in America. And every time we moved, um, it was like, some kind of a wake-up call <laughs> and had a huge impact and continues to have a huge impact on who I am today and for sure I wouldn't have the value and appreciation for diversity that I do today if I hadn't done that moving around that I did and I think one thing I realized also in that context is you know, like when we travel, um, like if you're traveling as a tourist someplace, sometimes our experience of that other place can be very superficial. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, what can you do to sort of dig a little deeper beneath the surface? Uh, because I know when we moved, our first international move was from India to the Middle East. And we had like language barrier issues and um, you know other things going on and so for a while our experience of living in the Middle East was very superficial you know um, it wasn't until we started to get to know the locals um, who started giving us the 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 information about how things really yeah. were yeah. beneath that surface um, that you know it became you know like you said that really awesome tool or opportunity to get more uh, develop more empathy and compassion and to really widen our worldview uh, and so forth so yeah That's such a good point because it's easy for people to think travel and you just you buy a package and then you get a tour guide or you go sit in a resort or you go sit on a beach or whatever it is. And then, yeah, it's a manufactured superficial experience and can relate to it personally because my partner and I went to Cuba three or four years ago and we didn't stay at a resort and we stayed at bed and breakfasts. And when we went to Havana, we stayed and then we got to know the the host and over breakfast and ask questions and then they opened up and then we like we asked them where where should we go and they told us specifically where to go so we went for walks way out of the tourist area way out of the the the, the normal places where the tours are and went to where the locals were and where there was you know broken windows and kids in a little bit torn clothes and but people were laughing and families were playing and it was what was going on kind of locally and so refreshing it was the, one of the best parts of the trip really it makes me think about um we had a aunt visiting from india it was uh -huh. her first trip to the u.s and um me with the philosophy that i now have she didn't ask for it but um when we were touring LA, we took her to all the typical touristy places like the Hollywood Boulevard and 
all of that kind of stuff. But then I was like, okay, but I, I have to show you the real America. And so I took her to Skid Row. Skid Row. Oh my, oh my God. gosh. And for people who don't know about Skid Row, it's like this part, like right smack in the middle of downtown Los Angeles that has the highest population of homeless people. Certainly in Los Angeles, and I believe even on the West Coast. And it's just amazing, you know, like here you're on this street and there are these fancy downtown buildings all fancy lit up and very clean and stuff. You cross one street over, you start to, you know, and you hit the downtown schedule area and even the way the air smells changes and the way that it looks changes and then of course you see the people you know and it just really puts things into perspective for you about you know uh, the the very different realities that people are living in oftentimes literally side by side it's shocking. It's amazing that you gave her that experience. And I think it's important for anyone who might be listening to this, who hasn't been there to, I would like, look it up, go watch videos. And it still will only give you a, a part of it. Cause as Sammy is saying, you're, you're not getting the smell, you're not getting the, but it's as far as the eye can see homeless people in tents and people who are like shirtless or who are high, whatever, like just, it looks like a, a dystopian horror movie kind of set, but no, this is, downtown LA and as you mentioned one block two blocks away from fancy buildings nice stores and from the, the contrast yeah. yeah it's very heavy but <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't end on that exactly exactly so tell me I think my last question for you right now will be tell me more about the celebration part um, do you draw a distinction between reward and celebration um i don't when i i use them kind of interchangeably i think i think because the celebration is a reward a celebration yeah. is rewarding myself with something and that's why i said earlier depends on you and what you like but sometimes for me like just do like this feels good to do there's yeah. a reason why people do this when they when they <laughs> succeed at something what is it? like this feels it sends a very nice message to your body and your nervous system so sometimes that's that's all that's required but you know maybe it's a piece of music or maybe it's you know you're gonna you're gonna drop or like just what is it for you that makes you feel like you're giving yourself a literal pat on the back yeah. and then it reinforces the enjoyment and the behavior so that it's easier and fun you have more momentum to do more of it yes and that's just the way it works when you're playing games too right <laughs> it's like even there, there are so many games where we're playing them and we don't know what the next level will bring, mm -hmm. but we keep at it. There are all kinds of challenges, but there's this constant sense of feedback that we're getting. Oh, you're doing this mm -hmm. well. And, uh, uh, and then there's like those little graphics that pop up to help you celebrate um, exactly. in addition to whatever other rewards that you get in terms of seeing the number of points increase or you know things like that uh. i've got an extra thought actually you're making me think of something that i can share that's helpful that i've actually applied one yeah. of the most awesome and most consistent pieces of feedback i've got regarding the book 
is that people couldn't put it down. And then when people mm -hmm. started reading it, they read it in one sitting, in two sittings, they read yeah. it in a couple days. People saying it really was a page turner. I intentionally made the chapter short, mm -hmm. short and punchy. Mm -hmm. Because what happens when you finish a chapter? There's a sense of like, you got to a checkpoint, right? You feel yeah. reward, like I finished a chapter. So what do you want to do? You want to read the next one. So it creates this intrinsic reward system through reading the book. And that was very intentional in the way that I wrote it. Mm, love it, love it. Thank you so much, Rob. I really enjoyed our conversation. And um, yeah, we'll probably need to bring you back because you have so much to talk about. Um, and yeah, do you have any last uh, thing that you want to share with us right now? I think the last thing I want to maybe bring it back to shining a light on things and fear and acting out of a place of fear is one of the things that's held me back the most and the more people i speak to the more people i help the more people i work with it's such a constant and it's you know fear of judgment feel of failure feel of what are my parents going to say it's in fear in all these different forms and when left unchecked when left on its own it grows in the dark it festers in the dark and it gets bigger and scarier versus putting a big spotlight on it. And I would just encourage people to pick, put a big spotlight on your fear. If you're feeling fear around something, you're feeling it, ask questions. Why am I feeling that fear? What is, ask, what is the worst scenario? Like go to the worst case scenario, get clear. What could happen? Okay, is that likely to happen? If that happened, what could I do about it? Like start thinking it through, start problem solving and start, because then you'll quickly realize it's not as big as you think it is, or it's not, the likelihood of the worst thing happening is probably pretty slim or if the worst thing happens there's some things you can do to make it better and then all of a sudden it's not as scary and the likelihood that you can take the action that you want to take to ultimately do what you want to be doing with your business with your life with your experience here uh you're more able to do it awesome i love that thank you again rob and we will be dropping rob's links in the show notes so please make sure you click on those links connect with rob i'll also drop my links in the in the chat i mean show notes if you want to get in touch with me so until we connect next time i wish you lots and lots of peace and joy